Hello, everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 35, Where Do I Keep My Stuff? Recorded January 15th, 2012, and brought to you by Elements OP Productions. This week, we're going to talk about storage. Online, offline, backup, just storage. Where do you keep your stuff in this day and age? That becomes a big issue, and it's uh, sometimes a little even more trickier. See, that's my good grammar. Even more trickier uh, in Linux uh, because so, some of the services that Windows people take for granted aren't available on Linux, but we're also going to talk about some that uh, aren't available on Windows and only on Linux. So here we go. And without further ado, let me introduce, I don't need to introduce these guys, you know them and you love them, our regular pantheon of hosts, beginning with Mr. Chris Neves, the command line godfather. Hey, Chris, how's it going? It's going good tonight. How's things in the lovely world of the internets? (laughs) Well, as far as my little slice of the internet is concerned, uh, it's connected for the moment. (laughs) <laughs> Aaron Butler, no, the former no fat random guy. Drops. What's going Good. on, Aaron? Oh, just sitting here in Pod Pod Annex, enjoying <laughs> life and uh, ready for an awesome evening of Linux. Mark, I was just thinking, you've been waiting almost over a year to be able to say 2012. That's right. You just spent the whole year having to say 2010, 2011, and now finally you're able to say 2012 going forward. That's uh, right. I remember and, that. And I remember you, that yeah, episode. You remembered my little speech as to why. Uh-huh. Uh, and also... Mr. Seth Anderson, the gooey kid. What's up, Seth? Uh, not much. How's everybody this evening? How's it going, gooey? It's doing great. What up, gooey? What up, G? I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, channeling my inner gangster tonight. <laughs> I'm like, want to go all year, all, all the time. I don't know what it is. Just I'm to, the biggest media head. For, for those of you who don't listen to the Taiwan Tech or weren't listening to it at the turn of 2011, uh, my reasoning for not saying 2011 is it just doesn't roll off easy because you get those two e's together 2011 e e e and it's hard it's hard to roll off in a good radio voice way to do it <laughs> so i said 2011 but now 2012 is nice and alliterative alliterative to the, i talk good it, and uh-huh. it's got uh, those the, the nice breakup in between it's good syncopation so 2012 that's the way i'm going and then 2013 2014 so i i've got several good years before i have to mess with anything yeah 3011 you're good for a millennia. Yeah. Right. 1311, <laughs> yeah. The same reason I didn't name my son Caleb, because Caleb Butler right. doesn't work. It sounds like Caleb Utler. Well, yeah. you know, my name is one of those names, Mark Cockrell. I have one name, and I have to yeah. be very careful to say Mark Cockrell when I yeah. say it. Uh, I went to school with a Tim Moore and a Chris Samples also. Um, <laughs> yep. I don't even know what the names Chris are. The, well, think about mine, Chris Neves with the two hard S's at the end. Well, that's not so you bad. Get a lot of yeah. At the for when people say it, a lot of sibilance. Yeah, uh, the bad one too. When I was growing up, was when Bradley Baker's mom remarried and his stepdad adopted him, and he became Bradley Dudley. Bradley Dudley. <laughs> See, Chris, what you have trouble with is like if I'm going over to the Neves's house, <laughs> the Nevis house. That's, oh, ow, ow! Stop the nails on the chalkboard. Yeah, yeah. that that always hurts when I hear that. Yeah. So you say House of Neves. <laughs> <laughs> what what is the proper way to say that, Chris? You know, I have never ever figured it out. It always I believe it's just Neve's yeah, house. Yeah. I think he just dropped the S's. Well do you do you put the apostrophe at the end? You know, like what you do you do that sometimes to show um mm-hmm. plurality, possession. but you don't do that for possession, do you? Which I can't remember. Well, since his name has an S, I think you would just put the apostrophe S, but you would just say Neve's 
You wouldn't say Neves is. Yeah. That's funny. We I, actually I chased one of our two listeners out of the chat room with our inane babble. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Everyday Linux. Throw a cat, uh, running people out of chat room since 2011. Or 2012. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, just to keep... Uh, oh, and we lost the other one, too. That's right. We now have no... <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's maybe it's I don't see that they're gone. Maybe it's uh something with the chat room. Well, could be. Well, you left the chat room too. I just now refreshed it to see if it. Maybe was. it's a net split. Those pesky net. I hate them. I don't even know what a net split is. Well, it's when the net splits. No, it's it's uh, in IRC or in anything really, but uh, it kind of goes back to the the old days of IRC when you have several distributed servers all connecting to one thing. Sometimes a link will break and cut half of those servers off for a few seconds and so you'll see thousands uh, of people suddenly disconnect and reconnect to net split well i'm back in the room and they're all gone so apparently i was in the same net that got split with them <laughs> uh, i guess me too did you leave the room too yeah i don't know okay now people dunk is back there. yep that's what it was anyway interesting welcome back <laughs> yeah it's so unusual that we actually have live listeners to this show uh, that uh, we don't want to chase them off. No. So I uh, just want to, you know, and I mean that from the bottom of my One of them there days. Or at least and the then he was like, mind. and then I was like, <laughs> and, and, then she, goes, and then she goes. <laughs> uh, just in keeping with tradition over the last uh, several weeks, I have to mention my smoker again today. Uh, what I did that this week, and, and what made me think of it was the... the Make uh, a patch for that now. The <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was I bad. hear it's a good one. That was bad. Um, I decided my wife, one of my her favorite treats, one of the things she always asked for around Christmas is um, smoked almonds, and they're expensive. They're nine dollars or more for a little, you know, four ounce can. So I thought I've got a smoker. I can buy almonds. I'll make smoke smoked almonds. So I put a little oil, a little salt, a little flavoring on them. Put them in the smoker. Uh, left them in there for about five and a half, six hours. Thought, you know, these are pretty good, but they need to be roasted just a bit more. They're just, they, they didn't get quite hot enough in the smoker. So I threw them in the oven at 350, went and sat down on my couch. My daughter crawled up in my lap and we both fell asleep. And <gasps> yes, smoke began pouring from the <laughs> oven. And that's how I knew that the almonds were in fact overdone. So, whoops. That, yeah, that was that was an expensive <laughs> mistake. But I had a few left over that hadn't fit in my original pan. I redid them today, and they turned out really well. And so, smoked almonds on the cheap. If you have a smoker, you can do it yourself, and they taste wonderful. It's. I was, and, I was actually, I was actually lauding your smoke your smoker to Tom Little earlier, uh, and. So Mark, just to clarify, in case he asked me about it again, because he's in the he's in the he actually tried Texas brisket for the first time this past week. Nice. And he came back saying, "I thought barbecue in Georgia was good." <laughs> they just don't know. <laughs> now he knows the truth. The truth is out there, and he can't resist it anymore. So, in your smoker, you have a hot plate, and on the hot plate is actually I have four hot plates, and on the hot plate and on the hot plates are a, an aluminum hotel pan, just a, but any pan will do a cookie sheet, anything, and then on top in in the pan is the the wood chunks, hickory chunks, and then water or no, no water or? no water needed. you can soak the wood chips if you want to, that creates more free nitrates and gives you that nice smoke ring that people tend to like, but that's that's doesn't that's not flavor that's show uh and in fact, in barbecue cir circuits. Uh, they don't even count that anymore as a as a thing because meat tenderizer can fake it 
Uh, but so, no, I don't do anything but just uh, hickory chunks. They're, they're less expensive than the uh, chips, and they burn for days, not just hours. Uh, so I don't get the, the chips. I buy the chunks. If you so, does the, so does the chip gradually just go away as it's charred? Right. It just turns to ash, and then periodically I take the thing out and dump the ash and, and go from there. Hey, if you I'm had talking- hickory that had been cut for a year, would it lose all of its hickoriness? No, no, not at all. When you have a second uh, someday, Mark, when you're out there at your cooker with your phone, take a picture of what the tray actually looks like with the chips in there and that kind of thing and post it somewhere that I could, I could see just for fun. Okay. It's just an aluminum pan. I, for a long time, I used a cast iron skillet because they're like $3 at the hardware store. Uh-huh. But I want to see the exact distribution of your chunks, how large your chunks are, and in what way you have them oriented so I can reproduce your results. They're random sized chunks of wood thrown in a pan. Uh, <laughs> you're getting way too literal about this. Take the picture, Mark. It takes you three seconds. Come on. Okay. Right. It'll automatically upload to Google Plus, and then you just share it with me. <laughs> I didn't ask you to draw a picture of it. That's <laughs> <laughs> funny. What uh, you were you were mentioning earlier before we started recording uh, some feedback we'd gotten in the forums, and um, the the comment was from an an Englishman, uh, Martin, uh, and he said. Uh, uh, I enjoy learning about brisket while I get my Linux tips. So that was kind of nice. Yes, it was. That's what we bring to to Linux that nobody else does, is cooking tips. That's what's missing in all the other That's, Linux podcasts in the world, cooking tips. We're going to rename right. this to Linux Cooking and You. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so oh. I've got GDE installed on my kitchen. <laughs> Just one thing I wanted to uh, bring to our listeners' attention was uh, uh, it's an odd place to put it. It's a website about typography, as in fonts and, and that sort of thing, for lawyers. The website is called typographyforlawyers.com. Hmm. Um, but the fellow there who is a lawyer lists seven essential qualities of um, open source. And he talks about how there's what open source is, and there is the myth of what open source has become purported to be, sort of the watered-down version of it. And this first came to my attention of, on Google Plus from uh, Gina Trapani, uh, Trapani uh, who posted about it and, and said that she agreed with the points he made. I read over it. not sure I entirely agree with all seven of his points, uh, but it's it's worth looking at, and the typography is really nice, too. So uh, the, the link there is in the page, but it's seven essential qualities of open source. Um, and I'll just uh, run through a couple of them. Is, is the the reality, the, dil- the dilution, the thing that people say today is open source rises from a spirit of free- freedom and cooperation. The reality is open source arises from a spirit of co- capitalist competition. Then he goes on to explain that. Number two, open source developers work for free. The reality is open source developers are paid. And some are paid in money. Some are paid in uh, credentials. You know, there's there are other ways you can be paid. Uh, number three, open source makes things free. And the reality is open source redefines what is valuable. Number four, open source has no barriers to participation. And the reality is open source relies on meritocracies. The better you are, the more likely your patches are to be put in there, and that's important. It's not really an open free-for-all. 
number five, open source is democratic. The reality is open source relies on benevolent dictators. <laughs> yeah, Linus is a benevolent dictator. Not always so benevolent. Uh, but always a dictator. Yes. Um, number six, open source projects can have one developer. The reality is open source developers require multiple developers. For it to be open, I mean, you can have the source out there on a server somewhere, but unless more than one person's working on it, it's not a project. It's just something a dude's working on. <laughs> uh, and then the last one, number seven, a software project can be open sourced at any time. And that's a big one. Companies will take their closed source, and then when they're done with it, they'll open source it, quote unquote. He says that's not true open source. His re he says the reality is open source is part of the project's DNA, or it's not. It either starts out as open source or it will never truly be open source. I thought there was a, there's one part here, Mark, that's an, uh, kind of actually funny. Under the number number three, open source makes things free. Open source redefines what is valuable. He says, while open source software advocates sometimes imprecisely describe it as free as in beer or free as in speech, an engineer at Red Hat once described it more, to me more, accurate, more accurately as free as in puppies. <laughs> Right. No, you don't pay for open source software, but neither do you get the extras that are standard. Yeah. Uh, Microsoft has used that argument before against open source, is that you know, open source is like a free puppy. Uh, you end up paying for it years in and year out. Yeah. And, that, and it, it's not a bad point. They're, they're, uh, and that's true for anything, closed source as well. You say it's like a free car, too. Right. <laughs> a lot of times when you get a free car, it's not one you want. But. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you know, but that isn't necessarily a bad thing because you look at open source or startup companies or startup people who don't have a lot of money you know they can get this stuff for free and then later on as they have money then they can either get the plugins for it or go to a more closed proprietary right. architecture yeah lots so. of open source products right now are of the freemium model they have their community edition and then they have the paid stuff that that isn't open source or that is uh um is a expertise and not necessarily code. That you and then there's with. also the kind of the screw you model that Boxy implemented. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> thanks, but no thanks. Uh, and that's all I had in the way of just stuff I wanted to mention. What do you guys got for me this week? Well, well the only thing I really have is the fact that I really don't like when people use ultimatums. Um, I had a couple thrown my way this during the week, and you know I never really liked ultimatums at all and, and you so, said stop using ultimatums or else right no no i didn't I say refuse to listen to your ultimatums but the problem i always have with ultimatums is like if someone says don't do that or else well what's the first thing you're going to do is figure out how to do it and still not get the penalty at least that's why i look that's that's the first words I, I i hear the words don't do it or else this well i figure out how to do it anyway and just sidestep the penalty or, or then there's always the or else what. Yeah. Is it, does it really matter? But yeah, I think ultimatum should stop. I mean, there's just, I don't know. I think they're they're pointless points of speech. I don't know. I use them all the time with my children. You have three seconds to get in this room or I will pull your ears off. And remember, I can only do that once in your life, so choose the time carefully. <laughs> so tell me, um, Chris, what? What's the most recent ultimatum that you're referring to that's really piqued your ultimatum hate? He can't See, because I'm... his boss may listen to this show. Oh, exactly. Okay, gotcha, that's gotcha. part of it. I, I don't think okay. he would, but yeah, it's just, it was thrown an ultimatum and it was, I didn't have any, 
there there was it wasn't the or else but there wasn't any or else this will happen it was just you will do this by this time period and it's like but what happens if something else happens like a server down or like what it has slowed me down to start with is yeah. we just rebuilt our untangled box well i think getting your task done is a lower priority than getting everybody else back up and running i had a boss previously that would say things like something would break and he said it would say this can't happen again <laughs> and i would say yes it can it's a computer watch <laughs> i assure you it in fact will happen How, again what caused this and and, and well blah, blah 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 this can't happen again well it's probably going to happen again it's yeah. a computer yeah and there's <laughs> hardware that can fail i had an interesting story uh, uh along those lines are I'm sure most every school has it. Is I forget the name for it, but there's a person who takes all the people, all the kids who can't hack it in the regular classroom, whether they're discipline problems or some of them are are more advanced than the regular class and they they need other stuff, and some of them are just uh, learning disabilities. So they all kind of go to one place, uh, and this teacher works with them individually. And when you have this this software curriculum that's internet driven, uh, that that runs all that, and when we we had just hooked it up, it was uh, a couple of weeks old at the most. And our uh, internet pipe was really flaky back then. This was like 98, 99. Everybody's internet pipe was flaky back then. I suppose your internet pipe right now. Right. (laughs) (laughs) That still is flaky. Um, Side story, sorry. It only happens every night, though. So, you know, if we started doing our podcast at 6 o'clock in the morning, we wouldn't have any trouble. Uh, But anyway, uh, she caught me one day, literally accosted me out in the middle, in front of the high school building. And uh, grabbed the high school principal and was just chewing me up one side and down the other about how she can never get any work done. It just doesn't work. It's terrible. It's ridiculous. Uh, it just never works. And I said, okay, I'm, I'm sorry that it's not working for you, but we're paying several thousand dollars every year for this to work. And if you're saying it's just not going to work, um, I'll just go cancel the service and we just can't do it anymore. And the principal said, yeah, let's let's go down to the book room. We'll, we'll check you out some books so that you can go do things the old way. And then she went, you know, it's really not that bad. We can work around it. We, we can make accommodations. <laughs> so sometimes ultimatums backfire on you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, but it's one of those things that, you know, I just, oh, I, I hate ultimatums. I really, really do. Okay. So, so there's, uh, my, there's my line in the sand. <laughs> he's, he's been on his sofa box. Oh, <laughs> no more ultimatums or else. The good news is SOPA, for now, appears to be dead. president said he will not sign any legislation that comes to him. Uh, That doesn't mean that when the political winds change next month, they won't try it again. Or maybe he already had the legislation sent to him before he said that. That could be. It's already, in fact, been signed, so now (laughs) I can say that. Yeah. Or... we didn't pass that, but we're going to come up with something twice as draconian, and you won't have a choice in the matter. Well, realistically, what they'll do is they'll attach it as a writer to some other bill and do exactly yeah. the same things in a more backhanded, backdoor fashion. Or they'll put it as a line item in a bill that says, you know, we'll make killing puppies with meat grinders illegal, and everybody has to vote for that, because if you vote against that, right. you're evil, so you've got to vote for that. Oh, yeah, yeah by the way, soap is in there, too. Military budget is a fun one like that. It's like, if, if this passes, the military doesn't get funded. Oh, well, I'm going to put a writer in there that says that it's legal to marry gay puppies on the Sabbath, uh, and you can't, <laughs> you can't vote it down, because then you stop funding to the military. You just offended PETA and the gay lesbian <laughs> organization all at once. <laughs> 
He's good that way. Yeah. He, he likes to insult everyone all at once. He wants, he wants listener feedback. That's what most, the most bang for our buck. That's right. I, I want to be equal, equal, equal opportunity offensive. We That's want to offend right. the most people in the least amount of time possible. <laughs> so, on to some Linux news. Uh, Linux is now controlling U.S. spy drones. This isn't really news. Uh, it's just something that recently popped up in the news uh, that... Uh, the that the military has chosen Linux as the backbone for their spy jo- drones. Yeah, because there was an issue a couple of months ago with some malware and stuff on the Windows machines that were controlling it, and it was more a publicity nightmare than anything else. So because of that, and I mean, you know, I'm sure there's other reasons too, but now control is uh, now on Linux boxes. Which is, you know... Good and bad. It, it's kind of it's it's not really anything. It, it, the operating system doesn't matter so much, but it's good publicity for Linux. Right. That's right. So I mean, you know, and that's the whole point of our show is good publicity for Linux. Yes, that's it. Yeah. And, and cooking and offending a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> and this next one, I didn't realize I had already stepped on, but uh, White House responds to SOPA petitions. The the long and short version of that is, they said, "We have heard you, and we won't sign this." Thank goodness. You know, speaking of this, how many of you did any of you guys sign the petition on the EFF page for this? No, I don't sign no? petitions. I, I just, as a general rule, I think they're pointless. Hmm. Well, personally, I did. I signed them and I sent my my representatives the emails, and then I also had their phone numbers, and I was going to call them on Monday, but uh, now I don't have to worry about calling. G Junk in the chat room says he signed it. So way, way to go, G. Um, there was one petition, I can't remember what it was, but it was something I felt passionately about. And so I, I went to the website and, and started filling out the information. And I thought, you know what? Maybe I should actually read what I'm signing. Instead of just putting in my information and clicking send. Then I started reading. I got to like the third paragraph down and went, yeah, I don't really agree with anything that these people just said. The, the title, the headline was good. But when they actually got to it, no, nah, I didn't buy it. I think it might have been about SOPA, and it was like, uh, we refuse to purchase any products or go to any of your movies. And I was like, I'm lying if I sign this. I'm not going to not buy or go to a movie uh, based on my um, feelings about SOPA. Did you ever see the uh, Penn & Teller episode where they had people go around getting people to sign uh, a petition about banning about the you know uh, being against the use of dihydrogen oxygen, yeah, in, uh, I've seen that one chemical, before in uh, in shampoos or something. And pe- people are just signing it left and right. Oh yeah, yeah, we'll sign it. Yeah. Dihydrogen monoxide H two O. Yeah, and uh, if you if you talk about how dihydrogen monoxide is is responsible for uh, death if breathed and can cause uh, uh, massive burns in its uh, uh, gaseous state. I mean, you can yeah. make, you can really make dihydrogen oh. monoxide sound really and, bad. And manufacturers are putting it in everything these days, <laughs> <laughs> especially right. this little bottle of mine. <laughs> right. it's, a, it's a major component of 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 chemical Soft drinks. Uh, poisons and yeah, yeah. And, and of you. <laughs> That's right. So yeah, uh, okay. Next story, Desura. Talk to me, Chris. What is, I don't even know what that is. Desura is the open source version of Steam, more or less. Um, this company, Desura, does a Linux or a, a Steam-like client for games, uh, and they they have 
they're still pretty uh, new, so they don't have a lot of big name companies signed on with it. But some of the more more known ones is they do have Valve and they have Portal and Half Life and Half Life Two. So they're adding more games as they go along, and it's a neat model because obviously if Steam works on the Windows side, we need something on the Linux side, and Desura is that. Unless you know Valve decides to uh, boot stomp these guys and release the Steam client, but what they've added is the free adventure games that are freely available online. You know, some repositories are even have these games in there too. But this is a local place to just download every, all these adventure games, and they're the classics. Like, uh, oh, what was I, I? Zork. There's a few. What was it? Zork. Z O R K. Zork, the best adventure yep. game ever. And there's also like uh, Beneath a Steel Sky. <laughs> that that fell to a rounding applaud of nothing. It's like, yeah, whatever. Zork. What, yeah, Zork. But anyway, like I was saying, there's there's some good old games. I'm gonna just ignore that Zork. Unless he plows on, he plows on. I try to, and then you guys awesome. pull me back. But you know, there's like Beneath the Steel Sky, which are, is a classic adventure game from way back when. So if you're interested in it, it's a free. You just sign up for the service. You can download the cert, the the little application, and then you are able to to try some of these good old games again. Um, and they're, when it comes from the ones that are purchased priced, they're not a bad price either. Cool. All right. Thanks for that. There not a lot of gamers here, and uh, but apparently if they had Zork on there, Aaron would be all over it. Zork. <laughs> Zork Star, for the win, huh? Nightstar in the chat room asks if Leisure Suit Larry is on there. If it is, I would buy it. That's awesome. Uh, Leisure Suit. You know, when I was in high school, I had to uh, answer the trivia question so my friends could play that. Oh, man. I love that game. It was that, uh, I don't remember which one it was, but you're like, you go buy the 72 gallon big gulp. And then you gotta you 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 buy it. You gotta tr- figure out where to keep it. And I thought, well, okay, drink big gulp. So you drink it, and you like explode. <laughs> okay, that wasn't a good one. And then there was this time where you had to you had to get across a a, a chasm of some sort, and what you had w- with you was some hemp. And so I typed in smoke weed. <laughs> And so he started floating and got a little, uh, little buzzed and, and then fell across the gorge. Of course, what you had to do was weave it into a rope. But uh, it was – I love that game. It was a classic game. Well, on return to Zork, you had to, <laughs> you had to burn a bra in an incinerator and take the underwire to pick a lock. That's awesome. Wow. That's, that's some deep thought there. Yeah. The best part about that game was there was a – totally off the subject – a crystal ball that was battery-powered. And about uh, 15, you know, I say 15% of the game, the guy's talking to you in the crystal ball. He's like trying to give you help. And he's like, now, about the about the dark forest, and the battery would go dead. You know, in like 75% <laughs> of the game, you finally find some batteries. You stick them in, and it comes up, and he says, and that's the only way to get out alive. Don't forget it. <laughs> so you missed a little bit in the middle. That's there. awesome. Yeah. What was that middle part again? Yeah. That's from. Thank uh, you, Kevin Clown. Yeah. Appreciate that. Thanks for noticing. Fish called one. Yeah. And then the last news story, an, another Chris one, Microsoft may or may not be doing something illegal. There's big news. No, there's guaranteed uh, they're doing something illegal. This may or may not be it. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> well, demanding. it may or may not be illegal. 
Right. Demanding ARM OEMs to block Linux on Windows 8 hardware. Now, I haven't heard this story, Chris. What's up with that? Well, and this is just one of those stories. I, I caught a whiff of it, and I was looking at it, and it was one of those. I started reading it, and then, of course, the family kicks in, and I think to finish the article. But what it seems like is that they're trying to Microsoft is trying to stop um, anything to boot unless it's an oh the UEFI secure boot handler, and I know there's been pe- places that say they can't do this because it'll break the consumer market and everything. But if if this is one of those things that we're gonna have to go up at arms again about, people need to know about it a little bit ahead of time. So keep an ear out for it, see what happens, watch for the UEIF secure boot technology and see if it's unlocked or locked when you go to purchase something. Now, I've heard, well, I've heard I've, versions of this story before. Um, I, just wanted, I read some of it um, from, from it was basically on like the Windows 8 phones. It's not on Intel or AMD chips. It's only on the ARM chips, which is pretty much like their Windows phone, which is the same thing like Apple does. You know, they lock their bootloader so you can't hack it. And that's that's what this story is saying, too. Right. It's important. That's what I was going to say. Is It's important to, to remember that we're talking about the ARM processor. This isn't the desktop or, or anything right. like that. Um, and yeah, it, uh, locked bootloaders are, I mean, my Google phone came with a locked bootloader which I blew away and put an unlocked bootloader on it. So uh, even if they do, I don't really see how this is going to be a big deal unless they're some chip-level compre- uh, encryption I don't know about. Well, that or, like, for example, on my Fire, if I if I do the, the rooting access on it, I automatically lose the streaming from, a- from Amazon on it. Right. So that's something else that could happen. So yeah, they, You pay the price for some of that stuff. Yeah. Well, which is why I'm saying be careful. You know, know what you're buying before you go out and just drop down $300 on something. If you're one of those, you know, modern hacker type people. There is a brand new article out there on hothardware.com about this that just dropped today, actually. Um, just FYI, if anybody's interested. All right. Put the link in the show notes and I'll put it up there when we post it. And he's saying that they say. That um, on non-ARM system, it's a requirement to implement the ability to disable the secure boot via firmware setup. Then it goes on to say disabling secure must not be possible on ARM systems. Okay. FYI. That's the only contribution I have for tonight for the show. <laughs> that and Zork. <laughs> okay. We'll just mention Zork a couple of more times. Uh, I will. And we'll be good. So on to the topic at hand. Uh, we're just going to talk about storage in general and, and a little more specifically as it uh, pertains to Linux. And one of the first things that, that Chris, you know, uh, all four of us on this show are enterprise geeks. We're not the home geek. We work in, uh, you know, enterprise settings, two of us in education and two of us, um, well, one in corporate and one unemployed. Home. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, now, what, I'm looking for a job, so if you need a Windows guy who isn't afraid of Linux, uh, let me know. That, actually, that's a pretty good way to put it on your resume, I'd say. I'm a Windows guy, but I ain't scared of Linux. Um, so anyway, one, I can of the, do the GUI. one of the things that we sort of first went to is is a NAS, Network Attached, attached Storage. Something you might want to, to do at work and certainly at home, too, if you have media uh, in large amounts, uh, you know. Uh, video and audio and all your stolen torrents or whatever. <laughs> but uh, um, 
one of the things that you might want to do is set up a network attached storage, which is sort of a uh, headless computer that you don't really interact with as a computer, but that has your stuff on it. And there are two ways that Chris and I sort of have bantied about a couple of times. He likes one, I like the other, um, for uh, how to do that. And so we're going to start with uh, Chris's favorite, Unraid. So tell us a little bit about Unraid, Chris. Well, Unraid can be found over at lime-technologies.com. And it's similar to FreeNAS and Open. Was that open filer? Uh-huh. Um, they're all based on the same idea where you have the, the Drobo-like effect where you can have multiple array of, of smaller devices that give you a pool of places to store your data. Um, instead of using the RAID setup where you have similar disks in the, that are the same size mirroring each other, this one uses a parity drive instead. So you could lose any one drive of the system on the free version and still keep 100% of your data. Right, which, um, is, which is simple, you know, RAID or, or mirroring, that's that's the way it goes. You you have three drives only, right? Two for data and one for parity? It, for the free model, yes. Yeah, okay. Um, they do have paid versions, and they also sell a um, Drobo-esque type device where you have a bunch of drive or bays that you can slide your own drives in, um, and a web interface to manage it. Um, so far, the one I'm running it on is running on a simple, uh, I think it's an Atom processor, and with 400 people hitting the thing every day, it just keeps on clicking and doesn't even miss a beat. So I'm really impressed with the Unraid set system. They just released an upgrade just recently. Um, I've been reading a couple of horror stories about people upgrading with it, so I'm holding back. But uh, I've so far, I've really liked it. Uh, my school purchased a copy of it, and so we actually even are able to use a cache drive. So that way we have our storage, our redundant, um, or our, not our, our parity drive, and then we have our cache drive for the commonly used files. So it but works really good. How does it install? I assume it's an ISO you download. Does it run off the disk, or does you no. install it on a hard drive, or how does that work? It, it runs off of a thumb drive. Okay. Quick and then question, it's, Chris. Yes, sir. Are there limits to the drive sizes that it can handle on the no. free version? No. I, I've, I've got, when I first set it up to make a proof of point, I put in um, the biggest drives we had at the time, which were two terabytes on all okay. three of them, and it handled it w- without even blinking. Just no problem. The three drive limit's not, <clears throat> excuse me, not a big, as big a deal if you can put three two terabyte drives in there. You know, I mean, that's, the only, that's a, if, if it's a 500 gig limit or some kind of crazy thing like that, when they were trying to really pare you down, then the limit really would be for it. the file system. So it depends on how you format them. Really. Right. Well, right. and it uses Razor as a file system. Okay. So and Razor doesn't really care. I, I've I haven't seen it. It didn't balk at the two terabyte drives, and it didn't balk at the three. I just put in the new one. Uh, the what they limit though with the free version is how many drives. So you can only have the three drives for your base level. Right. Um, as far as w- when you start adding drives into it, that's when they start saying, okay, well, pay us the $39 and you can have, um, I think $39 gets you nine drives. And then the next step up from that gives you, I think it's like 15. Is that $39 ever once? Once. Oh, geez. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Pay, pay for it. Yeah. Which is why I got the school to pay for it. They they were like, and they even send you one of these little um, SanDisk Cruiser micros with the system on it. So you don't even have to install it. It just plugs in and goes. 
That's cool. So right. for your three, I, I like the system. I really do. Um, the only thing I really found that can get you into a little bit of trouble is if you start adding in some of their extras. Um, they have a community of developers that add it, that make add-ins. So like you could add a web server onto it. So you can actually host a website through it. Um, but then you got to be careful about configuration between ports and everything and starting to making sure you have enough CPU processor to handle all the extra roles you're assigning to that NAS server. All right. And, and so the one I'm going to talk about sounds like they should probably share a lot of the same code is FreeNAS. And it's one of the oldest uh, on the market. And uh, I used it in production six or seven years ago. I don't use it right now. Uh, that that system had a, an issue where it would periodically reset itself, like uh, not, not reboot, but the software would like reset and break all connections and come back. And that was a known glitch. It's been fixed for a long time, but it just wasn't something I could live with at the time. At home, might not bother you so much, but when I had 800 people on it and suddenly they lost all their connections all at once for 30 seconds then it came back, that was a big deal. Um, but having said that, that, that has been fixed. But FreeNAS is is the same sort of thing. It installs on any drive. You can put it, it'll even run off a CD, and you can give a little, uh, create a partition for it to store its data to. Um, or it, it works best on a flash drive. The way I did it was um, I just put the flash drive inside my server and, and plugged it directly into the motherboard. Didn't even have it hanging out of the machine. Um, it's got um, a, a few more options for sharing as I uh, understand it, then Unraid does. Uh, NFS for Linux, Samba for Windows, uh, FTP, TFTP, um, a whole bunch of others I can't remember off the top of my head. But, you know, you can connect pretty much anything to it. And it, it has a couple of different things. It'll, th- it'll take as many drives as your hardware can throw at it. Um, and you can f- format them any way you want. It doesn't use its own formatting. You can do, you can choose how to format it. So you can do NTFS or, or, um, uh, ext3 or 4 or butterfs or whatever you want uh, and i think you can even mix and match and one of the mm. most common modes that people use is called the the jbod mode just a bunch of disks uh, it's not raid it's not redundant uh, you just throw a 10 gig drive and a 40 gig drive and a 3 terabyte drive and a 500 gig drive in there and it just aggregates and pools all that space and every time you throw a new drive in you don't have to reformat or anything it just gets that much bigger that sounds a lot like how Open Raid works, right. or Unraid. The downside of that is, if any one of those fails, you lose all data, because it's striping across that whole thing. There is no parity, there is no protection. So I don't recommend JBOD uh, for anything that's important. Uh, but it also does standard RAID levels, uh, RAID 1 mirroring, RAID 3, RAID 5, even RAID 6, where you can lose up to two drives in the system, uh, and it continues to function normally. So it's really a very good industry standard uh, thing for absolutely free. You just put it on whatever hardware you've got, and it does all the heavy lifting. It's a web-based interface, um, and uh, you don't ever actually interface with the console after you first set it up. And as Nightstar is pointing out in the in the chat room, it's not Linux. It's uh, it's BSD based. It runs on FreeBSD, so it's not it. Uh, but it doesn't really matter. <laughs> it just works. 
And so you plug it in, you run it, uh, it configures from the command line, and then you're done with the command. Sorry, Chris. After your configuration, you're done with the command line, and you do it through Yay! the, <laughs> through the <laughs> website. And you can even set up to do automated alerts. Uh, like if you reach a certain percentage of uh, space on a drive, it'll email you. Or if one of your drives starts going a little wacky, the smart integrated smart system says there's problems, it'll, it'll alert you. So it's, it's really uh, proactive uh, in that way. So that's my pick for open source uh, do-it-yourself NAS systems. Cool. Having said that, you can go to pretty much any um, online retailer of these sort of things and buy a NAS in a box for about as much as you can buy hard drives to build your own. Yeah. So it's, there's, there's almost no reason... To use one of these, frankly, if you're not going to be using components you already have, if you're going to go out and buy a processor and buy hard drives and that sort of thing, get a NAS in a box because you're going to save money. We're going to talk about that, or not? You're not going to save money. It's going to be about the same, uh, and we'll talk about some of the NAS in the box stuff a little later on. Aaron, what did you have to say? Well, you know, I I'm currently uh, my the team that I work on. At, this is just kind of a side note that I work on in my company that I work for, we're doing a, a large, large project, um, you know, multi-million dollar project, and they're just bought the new hardware and stuff that's going to contain the new database for the new system we're bringing up, plus some of the older stuff that we're, this legacy stuff, but we're just replacing our old SAN. So this it's not an as, it's a SAN, um, you know, some, somewhat related, but uh, the newest SAN my friend was telling me uh, that they got actually has three different drive pool types. It's got a it's got a uh, SATA drive pool. It's got fiber channel drives, and then it actually has solid state drives. Um, and I don't know what the total terabyte count is. I'm sure it's lots of terabytes across the thing. But the management console, the the software that's controlling all this SAN, is actually smart enough to watch the usage and migrate the data over time between the different drive pools based on how often it's accessed and how fast, how much is needed. So it will that's it cool. will it will actively move your data from Stuff that's getting pulled all the time, it'll move it up to the solid state stuff and stuff that's not being used very much. So it'll gradually um, migrate it to the SATA drives. Wow. Pretty impressive. Um, Aaron, you want to uh, make that distinction for our audience between a SAN and a NAS? Well, SAN, NAS, we already said, is network attached storage. And SAN is server area network, storage area network. Is that correct? Is that the right acronym? Right. And so I think of it as one is. Uh, is like um, one is like Mark said, a dummy box that's just attached to the network, and the other one is more of an intelligent drive space that's being handled by its own system, right. for lack of a better way to put it. So, like the, these drives are sitting in this box, but we actually attach them as a virtual drive or attach them as a drive to a machine. So they they uh, they mount and unmount these drives that are actually in this other unit onto a particular machine through fiber channels. Right. The biggest um, difference, uh, that's, I think the simplest way to put that, is the computer that's attached to doesn't know it's not local drive in a SAN. It yes. thinks it's just a really big local drive, whereas right. NAS is always going to be something out on the network that you attach to. Yeah, and, yeah. and to the point of, like, we, even right now on our current legacy system, we do we have two servers set up uh, uh, in a replication thing, two big SQL servers, and we actually... Back up the SQL server on one, uh, on one. Let's call it the X drive. On the X drive, which is on the SAN, um, before we replicate, right? 
so we have we have node A and node B of these uh, paired servers that are that are replicated, but one's only active. It's not they're not a shared wait, one's active, one's passive. So we back it up on the active drive because that's where the database really is, to so the X drive. Then we detach the X drive from the active node and attach the X drive to the passive node. So now all of a sudden the, pa the, the passive node has this new drive on it. It's not doing any SQL work right now, but now it's got this new drive and then it does the work of actually copying that SQL back up that's like, I don't know, I don't remember how big it is, uh, four terabytes or something like that, copying it over to the storage area um, to the actual backup server, backup network. We have a separate network that does all the backups through Tivoli and all that. So that computer does that. So that, using this, the SAN, we actually just take that drive and pluck it off one computer and move it over and stick it on the other automatic, automatically. And the computers don't know any difference. They just think, right. oh, I've got a drive. <sighs> and it's all the same box, just being digitally attached to different yeah. places. And it's never actually on either one of them. It's sitting right. in the SAN the whole time. Okay, so uh, moving right along, another one that I put in here mainly just to be thorough, uh, OpenFiler. OpenFiler is one of those freemium products that I, I mentioned earlier that has co a community version and an enterprise support for it. And it pretty much does all the same stuff that FreeNAS and Unraid do. Um, only my experience with it is it's not quite as user-friendly um, in the community version that the pay, the version that you pay for has this really slick GUI um, and and all that but uh, it does the same sort of thing um, it's designed for um, more enterprise for the sort of stuff Aaron was talking about it's not really designed like freenas is is made for the home guy who's just got some spare drives laying around that he wants to stick in an old case but um, uh, open filer is more demanding about what it requires in terms of hardware uh, and is more enterprise focused. Um, but it does NFS, Samba, FTP, all that sort of stuff. Uh, so check that out if you're if you're more interested in that sort of thing. But I don't really have any ringing endorsement for that like I do um, FreeNAS or like uh, Chris does for Unraid. Since we got you know, since our entire audience is geeks on the show, they, I think they might find this interesting. I think you you guys would find this interesting also. Um, one of the things currently, you know, the Healthcare Reform Act. I work in healthcare IT. Uh, there's a thing called meaningful use. It's part of ARRA, the you know the American Reinvestment and blah blah blah. And uh, meaningful use is Obamacare's attempt to uh, quantify if physicians are meaningfully using electronic medical re uh, medical records. So it's called meaningful use is kind of the broad term for it. And you have to report on all these different metrics that you do this and you do that and you check this on this number of patients. So I had to build this custom query that runs against the database for the current application that they're using. Uh, it was taking between six and eight hours to run at night on our report server, which is a pretty beefy SQL box. Um, uh, you know, quad, not quad core, 16, 32 core, um, itanium processors, you know, 128 gigs of RAM, blah, blah, blah. I mean, it's a pretty beefy box, not doing anything but running some reports at night. It was taking five to eight hours to run it, depending on when you ran it. So Bob, my friend again, he's like, why don't we have a solid state? drive on that machine we're using for the temp db that's got some space on it why don't we do something with that so we took the core tables that this report was running against remember it was taking five five and a half six to eight hours to run depending on what else was happening we copied these core 25 tables to another database on this solid state drive 38 minutes wow solid state makes wow. a big difference 38 freaking minutes <laughs> so you went from six hours to one third of an hour yeah and uh and that's, and that's if you refresh the entire tables. You know, if that, that's including the copy over time. If you just run the query, it's 27 minutes. Dang. So, 
So 27 minutes versus six to eight hours. So the moral of that story is if you've got the cash, buy solid state. Yeah. No kidding. If you've got something that requires lots of seek, you know, lots of, uh, lots of reads like that where it's just read, 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 read. That's all it's doing. It's just, you know, it's going through all these tables with lots of joins and aggregating data and spitting out percentages. Man, I was just, I expected it to be better. <laughs> but not eight hours to 27 minutes better. <laughs> That's impressive. Yeah. I've got a situation right now where I work where the the primary server, uh, the daily backup takes 23 and a half hours to run. So it's you know, like compiling firebox. Yeah. It, it runs every 24 hours and it takes 23 and a half hours to run. Uh, so I, I got to figure out how to make that better. That's where I used to work. Our weekly backup took a week and a half. <laughs> <laughs> well, Seth, I, I told several people about your comment about Firefox. Somebody made the comment about, you know, the 32-bit version of Firefox has to be compiled on a 64-bit version, and you said, no, it can, can be compiled on a 32-bit version. It just doesn't get done before the next version's out. <laughs> I thought that was so funny. Well, that's what I'm here for, humor and, uh, well, humor. So... <laughs> And yeah, we didn't have any stories from you this time. Yeah. Zork. Zork. Uh, okay, and so the next uh, section that we want to move into is online storage. So what, this was this was in-house storage. The next option is online storage. You totally and, skipped my uh, do-it-yourself link. Oh, I'm sorry, Seth. I, I did. My Please, fault. go right it's ahead with your do-it-yourself link. Um, I don't know if any of y'all have ever heard of a company called Backblaze, but they're an online uh, storage provider and they and this is, is an article from 2009 but they went out looking to buy off-the-shelf components and they oh. couldn't find anything that was not really expensive so they set out on a mission to build their on and it uses like 45 hard drives in a 4u case and uh, if you want to check out the article uh, the link will be in the show notes they just go through the process of how they built it with like their SATA cards and it's relevant to the show because it they were running um, uh, Debian Linux has their um, has their server OS so it's pretty cool um, you know if you want to buy like a 50 terabyte hard drive thing or whatever um, you can do it for you know, less than $10,000. Yeah, the, one of their neat things they have is the cost of a petabyte, which is the next step up from terabyte. If you just to buy the drives is $81,000. Then to assemble them in their system is $117,000. So it costs you 30000 more if you to, to put it in their box for a petabyte. It, that's, I mean, that's Google kind of data right there. That's huge data. <laughs> Uh, but it says that they built 67 terabytes for just under $8,000. And it sits in a single, looks like maybe a 4U box that slides into the rack. That's pretty cool. And you can even download the 3D model of their 4U enclosure uh, from this website <laughs> if you want to. Yeah, that's serious hardcore geekery right there. No so, kidding. you know, if you want to do it yourself and you're like, I don't know what to do to get started, you can go here and mix and match, take your own stuff. How many illegal torrents does it take to equal 67 terabytes? A lot. Too many. <laughs> okay. I'm sure there's enough out there to do it, though. So now we can move on to online storage. Uh, and my favorite one that I've mentioned before uh, is Dropbox. 
Me too. And Dropbox is both online storage and local storage. It's a neat thing uh, to go. You you put the client on your machine, and it's uh, Windows, Linux, Mac. Uh, I may think maybe even BSD. Um, Android. Uh, Android, uh, iOS, but they're different. They they only access the cloud storage. But the yeah, PC reads. the PC ones, you uh, you put it on there, and it replicates the data on your computer. So let's say you've got a, a fifty gig uh, uh, Dropbox. It'll take 50 gigs of your hard drive space, but also 50 gigs of their web space. And then if you put it on another client, 50 gigs on that client. So your data gets replicated. So all the podcast stuff that I do, um, I have in a Dropbox, and it's replicated to several different computers and online. And there's a version history online. If you delete something, you can go back to their online thing and undelete it. They keep it, as far as I know, indefinitely. So you can go back to uh, uh, something you deleted six months ago and put it back on. I have had to use that thing before where I pulled things out accidentally. And cause, and the, the issue there is if you delete something in one Dropbox, that gets replicated and it's deleted in all of them. Uh, so you go back there. Uh, initially, you get two gigs free. You can get up to five gigs more by referring people. Every person who signs up using your personal referral link gets two. Uh, they get an extra 250 um, gigs of, uh, megs of space, and so do you. Um, I ended up going going ahead and paying for the 50 gig version because I just couldn't get enough of my friends to uh, to care. Um, it, it's expensive. 50 gigs is uh, uh, ten dollars a month, roughly 120 dollars. Uh, so you know you could buy a, a drive a lot cheaper than that, but you don't get the replication, you don't get the online backup, and all that sort of stuff. A hundred gig plan is twenty dollars a month, or they have an enterprise plan, if uh, what they call I think a team plan something like that so if you've got lots of people that you want to do it that, that's one of those call us for pricing things so it's got to be expensive I, I use dropbox as well and i've actually used the we're talking about the android version i've i've used the android version a few times just to pull up a file that i know i've got in my dropbox at home like graphics or something and say oh here check this out or or an mp3 that i want somebody to hear you know pull it up uh and, and works great for that and i do exactly what mark talks about i use this to I use it sometimes just as a lazy man's way to get stuff from one machine to another. I have done that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. You know, because uh, it, it works great for that. Um, and the the nice thing is, it is a, a great um, the fact that you can just stick it on as many machines as you want. So, for example, we've talked about Boxy on here before. I installed it on my Boxy machine, installed it on my laptop, and when I rip a file to um, rip a movie to put on my boxing machine, I just drop it in Dropbox. Then when I get around to it, I go to my boxing machine and just go pull up Dropbox and just move them over to the, the video folder. Or I email Mark and say, Mark, right. put all the movies that you have that I also own into your... By the way, I've got all those moved out if you've got some more to put in there. That's awesome. Uh, that, uh, that's another thing I was going to mention is you can share. If you're a Dropbox user and you know somebody else is a Dropbox user, you can share folders back and forth. Now, it eats up both of your space. Uh, right, so Aaron uh, set aside a chunk of space. I put like two gigs of data in it. That was using two gigs of my space and two gigs of his space. But it was a really easy way to transfer those files back and forth without having to go to some like largefiles.com thing and, and transfer them. You just throw them in the Dropbox. It syncs up in the background when it has time. Um, and then he pulled them off, and it came out of my Dropbox too. The nice thing about it, like you said, is it's, Anytime you're moving big files around, you know, how many of you out there have a mom that she wants all of your Christmas pictures of the kids? Well, you can zip them and send her a 30 meg file in, uh, you know, in Gmail and it'll take her forever to download them, blah, 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 blah. Or you can just install Dropbox, send her a Dropbox link. She logs in, creates an account, 
install Dropbox. Actually, you call her on the phone, you talk her through installing Dropbox. Right. And then, uh, and then well, it doesn't matter what machine you're on. Like I said, it's truly cross-platform. You drop those photos in there, and now going forward, all she has to do is just go in, in mom's folder, and all there's all the new pictures every time. And there's no downloading, like you know the, that 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 thing of sitting there while it's downloading the email, or you know uh, waiting for that kind of thing, or uh, you know uh, trying like Mark and I were sharing some of the podcasts back and forth with uh, where he would send me a link, and I would actually try to do like an FTP download. Well, if that gets interrupted, then it's interrupted unless you're using some kind of fancy client. Well, this just does it. It just syncs it. It's magic. See, I like the public folder feature too, where you can send someone a public link. Right. And yeah. then they like I have that set up for one of my remote access tools. So then if somebody has a problem, like one of my friends and family, instead of installing a client on their machines when I go see them, I just send them the email link and they click on it and call me up, say, Hey, here are the numbers and poof, there you go. Yeah, and unlike some other services, uh, there are no limits to the file size. Like uh, uh, SkyDrive gives you 25 gigs of free space, Microsoft Sites SkyDrive, but the largest single file can only be, I think, uh, three megs or something like that. So you can't put any like MP3 files up there longer than maybe a song. You can't put like a podcast up there. You can't even put a big uh, video file uh, up there. So they give you lots of space and then limit how you can use it. Dropbox isn't like that. You got this much space. And that's what you can do. You can do. You can do. Put one two gig file in your two gig space if you want to, or you can fill it up with a million uh, half gig half case files. It doesn't matter. There's no number of limit uh, files limit. There's no size of the files limit. Uh, so if you're not using, I think most of our audience is going to be using Dropbox already. But if you're not, please use my referral link that I'm going to post in the notes. And uh-huh. for every one of you that does that, I'll get a little extra free space. Well, and the question. Oh, sure. I really like the cool thing, like I said, Mark, that it actually does sync it to your, to whatever machine you install it on. It's not just a repository that's only cloud storage. So the nice thing is, is when I go into Box, my boxing machine to move the file over, it's instant. It doesn't then start a download. It's already downloaded it to my boxing machine. I just move it, you know, it's just folder to folder on my PC. So that's like instant. And then the back sync of it moving it out of the folder on my other machines happens in the background again, automatically. That I don't have to worry about as opposed to some other online cloud storage stuffs. That I've used before, where it's more like just a synced, a single synced folder online, and you can't really access it as easily and as, as seamlessly. And then, if you're out and about offline, you've got your data. It doesn't matter. You don't have to be yeah. online to access it. Yep. So there's a long commercial for Dropbox that they got for free. Um, no kidding. <laughs> and Anybody out there who works for Dropbox, you'd like to send us ten thousand free gigs of yeah. space? We'd love it. Or if you'd like or to sponsor, sponsor that would be awesome. That'd be awesome. So anyway, uh, moving on. This was one I'd never heard of. Chris put in there, Minus.com. Chris, tell us about it. Minus is similar to Dropbox in the fact that you can have a client or um, they give you add-ons for Google or Firefox browsers where you can screen cap and it automatically stores it in Minus. This is more of a where Dropbox is a synchronizing uh, file storage. This is an online storage only. So you would upload something to it. And then it would it would hold it for you until you either delete it or whatever you want to do with it. Um, but they give you a lot more space for free. They give you 11 gigs. Um, and with a it's little price, you can get 50 gig. They have a special. Oh, they do. Yeah. Darn it! I signed up too soon. <laughs> <laughs> so have yeah, your wife I, sign up. 
<laughs> oh, well, it actually says up to 50, so it right. may only be 11. I do want to mention, uh, going back to something Seth just said, uh, the referral thing is pi- per IP address. So I tried having like all of my students, like 20 students, go sign up for Dropbox accounts, but they all did it at the school from the same IP address. I didn't get credit for that. So having your wife do it on the same bandwidth connection won't help you on Dropbox. <laughs> but her but doing it, it from work. Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> but, Not that yeah, we condone I, that kind of thing. But. No. I totally I condone use, it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but for minus, I use it for when I'm sending pictures to my family. Because they, they give you a short link to the whole folder, and then they my family can download the files they want. Not the whole clue of things and because it's just a little applet that runs in the bottom corner of my taskbar it's just to drag the file to it and it automatically uploads it like Dropbox does so that's my idea of minus I really like it for sharing pictures Um, I really haven't found a good use for it for you know like big files but I'm sure there would be one too that sounds a lot like box.net minus does it's the same sort of thing as, as Dropbox but it's a web client only so you got to upload it to the web and download it from the web. But, again, they give you five or six gigs free. So um, cool stuff. And we're running really long. We're already over an hour here, so we're going to have to either fly through this or we may even just have a, a, a part two episode. We'll see how it goes. But the next one is Ubuntu One, uh, originally only for Ubuntu clients. Uh, but now they've made it available to all other Linuses, uh, and there's a fledgling Windows client available that is uh, fairly new, and I don't know about Mac, but they give you, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, gentlemen, they give you two gigs free, um, and things that you buy from the Ubuntu store can automatically go to it, and there's a client. It's it's almost exactly like Dropbox, but it's uh, a Linux uh, made by the uh, by Canonical, and and uh, built right into Ubuntu. So if you've installed Ubuntu the last two or three versions, you have the ability to create an Ubuntu One account just built right into it. Hmm. Any other comments on that? Nope. Zork. Zork. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, well, I have it right there in my own notes. Five gigs free, and you can purchase more. Um. Okay, super flexible that, file synchronizer. I don't know what that is. Um, well, it's something I came across uh, doing some research for this show. It is a program you install on your local computer, and the Linux version is free. The Apple and Mac, uh, the Apple and Windows cost money. But one of the cool things about this is it supports syncing to and from Google Docs. That's cool. Hmm. Google Docs gives you, I think, two gigs free. Uh, and then you can buy more. It gets fairly expensive, uh, but a lot of those online things get expensive. So they, yeah, yeah. I, I haven't heard of that one. Yeah, I had never heard of it either, but, um, you know, and it supports Internet. You can connect to it through, like, FTP, uh, SSH, uh, even Amazon S3 web storage. Um, I just think it's really cool because, you know, we've talked before about how you don't really have an offline version of Google Docs available right. that works well. And this looks like something that, you know, if you store your files in Google Docs, then this will synchronize them and you can do like a smart tracking so it can like, you know, you have some version history there as well. Yeah, and, and what Seth just mentioned there, Amazon S3, uh, 
that's a whole different class of storage that I, I we didn't put in the notes, but uh, uh, Chris is putting it in there right now as I speak. Uh, they they offer you storage that you can connect to uh, through a an S3 client, and their their storage is is cheap as far as enterprise storage goes. You pay by the month, by the by the download, by the by what you put up there per month, but it can get. Like I looked into doing it for the podcasts and for what we do, it could get very expensive very quickly. Uh, so, but still, it's it's inexpensive for what it is, but it still can be a lot more expensive than say something like Dropbox. But, uh, um, Chris, you got any comments on that? Uh, not for the S3 client. Uh, I've never used the S3, but I know they do give you access to it with your um, an Amazon. If you buy your music through Amazon. They give you a chunk of space as well for free, right? But it's only and for it, music. You can't, as far as I know, put anything else up there. Oh yeah, you can upload stuff oh, to can? it. They okay. give you an upload. Yeah, they give you an upload client, but it's web only. Okay. You, there is no like installed um, Linux or Windows client that will automatically upload to it. Um, I like to use that though for when I'm sharing stuff with my wife because she already she has the Amazon account as well, so we just use that to share files back and forth between the two of us. That's cool, because that way you don't have to talk to your wife, because, you know, why do you... Well, <laughs> okay. I said files, though, notice, not yeah. talk through. Yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, and then the last category is, let's just not forget the point old drive that you plug into your computer, good old-fashioned USB drives, and uh, those are, are handy, and uh, I just thought, you know, if guys had... Uh, things that they liked, that they appreciated, uh, we give them a chance to plug their product. So, uh, Chris, you had something there. What uh, What's your plug? Uh, it's the Thermaltake Black Duo. Blacks Duo. Um, this thing can be purchased through Amazon. So, you know, the what is it? Element OP or dot com slash Amazon. Amazon. Yes. There you go. And look for uh, Thermaltake. Uh, Blacks Duo, and what this is is it's a docking station for you or for um, any SATA drive, and it runs over the the particular one I linked to is USB and eSATA. So it, as long as you have an eSATA card or an eSATA jack on your computer, you get your super speed connections through that eSATA port as well. Um, I use it for I use it every day for backing up my laptop and other people's computer parts too. But I love this thing. Um, I don't think I could do some of the things I do without it. Okay. Uh, and the one I wanted to mention, I've mentioned before on this show and other shows, I know, uh, the Pogo Plug. Uh, Pogo Plug, and they've recently expanded their sort of thing, uh, their services, and I'll talk about that in a minute. But Pogo Plug is a, a small arm-powered device that you plug into your network, and you plug up to four uh, USB devices into it. So right now I've got like a three-terabyte drive and a, and a one-terabyte drive. And that is connected via the Pogo Plug website, and it becomes what they call your personal cloud. I can access those drives anywhere I go. So I can, and they even have a media converter that is kind of crappy. Uh, but you can throw a, a file up there, and it'll convert it to a, a web playable client, so that you can read, uh, watch your videos through the Pogo Plug client or through the Pogo Plug website anywhere you go. So it it becomes like Dropbox or like something like that. That, but you host your own files in your own house. So that's how I do all my podcast stuff, 
I have the Pogo Plug client on my desktop. They have a Windows client and a, uh, a Linux client, and I think a Mac client as well. Uh, so I, I plug stuff in there. I, I throw it up to the Pogo Plug, and then I have access to it anywhere. Now it's all at my house, and it's the you know the limits of my bandwidth. I don't have the benefit of say Dropbox's uh, enterprise bandwidth. Uh, but I can upload as fast as my bandwidth can upload, and I can access my stuff anywhere. But also one of the new things that they've added is like a Dropbox type function, you can dedicate a chunk of your drive and share it with other people uh, or with yourself. So you can do the syncing part of Dropbox that we talked about using your own space on your own computers with as many computers as you want absolutely free. That the Pogo Plug software doesn't cost you anything. You just sign up for a free account and you can get that. Or you can buy what they're calling their Pogo Plug uh, web thing and you can buy extra space in the a la Dropbox. So check out mm. Pogo Plug, Pogo, P O G O P L U G dot com. So it's a service and a client and a hardware device. And you can use all three of them or any one of them without using the others. Uh, and so, like, if you got, like, I have the Pogo Plug device, that gave me, I think, four gigs of their Pogo Plug web storage free. So, uh, it's it's a really cool service. Check it out, pogoplug.com. And then uh, the next thing on my list that, that we've mentioned a couple of times is Drobo. Drobo is very expensive. It's designed for uh, not necessarily the enterprise, but the professional. Um, and it's it's yeah. like... Uh, it's the simplicity of an external drive. It's just a USB port you plug into a computer, but inside it's super complicated. It's uh, you can you can buy them with drives already installed, or you can install your own. And you buy certain bays, like uh, at work, for example, I have an eight bay Drobo, um, and it's one of the. It can be a SAN, like we were talking about earlier, or a NAS. Uh, so it can connect by a fiber channel, uh, or it can connect just over the network. Um, and you can put eight drives in there of any size. They don't have to be the same size. And it has its own weird striping sort of thing. So it does raid there even across different size drives. So if you want to expand your storage, say I've got eight, uh, I think I've got eight three uh, terabyte drives in there right now for 24 uh, terabytes minus eight, 16 terabytes or, or minus 21 because one of them is parity. Um, I can pop one of those out and put a bigger drive in it let it sync up. The light will turn green telling me it's it's synced. Pop the next drive out, put a bigger drive in, let it sync up. The light will turn green telling me it's synced and grow my RAID like that. If you've ever done anything with RAID, moving to a bigger RAID is a pain. you got to copy all your stuff off, set up your new RAID, copy it back. Drobo does all that in their box. Um, and you get red, yellow, and green lights. Red means there's a problem. Yellow means you're about to run out of space. Green means everything's copostatic. So uh, they're expensive for uh, um, the, the home user, you know, compared to buying a three terabyte um, external drive for a hundred bucks. You know, a Drobo is a lot more expensive than that. But compared to a true enterprise SAN, like Aaron was talking about, it's going to be real cheap for doing the same stuff. So check out Drobo.com. Very good stuff. All right. Anything else, guys? Uh, one thing I wanted to mention uh, whenever we're talking about kind of the do-it-yourself with uh, USB external drives, when you're copying, make sure you are copying the file and not merely a shortcut to the file. Um, this has happened to me on more than one occasion. Somebody gave me a disk with data on it. I popped the disk in. There is no data, only shortcuts pointing to where the data was on their right. machine. 
I've seen so how? Yeah. A kid says, I can't open this paper I did at school or at home. Well, yes, because you just put it's a dot .lnk file. Sorry. How about a PowerPoint by your CIO? And then he goes to click on the link, and it points to C colon backslash such and such such and such. <laughs> That's not on the computer in the in the uh, in the auditorium. Of course, I mean you know I'm I was like the go to tech guy at my church, and this missionary came in, and of course his it worked at home, and so let's call the tech guy in one minute before service starts. And so I uh, go up there, and I look. Well, you did not copy the file over; you copied the shortcut. And his response was, "Well, thank you for trying." Yeah, it's like, yeah. I, I'm sorry your skills were so bad that you couldn't help me. Uh, no, you were an idiot. Sorry. It Definitely. happens to everybody. We're all idiots once in a while. Yeah. yeah, and, you know, most of us probably do that, but when you're talking to your mom, your friends, your less tech-savvy people that you hang out with, stress that right. when you're talking backing up. Yeah. And, and then uh, talking about backup um, – I always assume the same thing. This this particular phrase, and it, 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 I heard it once, and it stuck with me. If you don't have it in three different places, you don't have it. Yeah, we and talked usually, about that in our resolutions episode. Yep. And so I always like to say you have your working copy on your machine, a backup copy on a USB stick or something, and then a third somewhere else. So like way off in you know, Carbonite servers or Amazon servers or something like that. Okay. And we're going to have to run through this where this, I think this is going to be our longest episode ever of Everyday Linux. Uh, so let's get on to the tip section. Chris, what is our uh, command line tip of the week? Today's t command line tip is, it's a command to find out what your processor can do. Um, like if, if you're if you're curious to find out if your dual core handles uh, MMX or anything like that, if you run this command, which is cat space slash proc slash CPU info, it'll read out a long list of everything your processor can do. So if it's hyper threading or pretty much everything. So if you're curious and you want to know if you can handle um, running a virtual machine on it and getting the proper performance out of it, this will help. And that's especially useful if you inherited a box and, you know, you didn't buy it or you didn't build it and you don't exactly know what's in it. Uh, that's a great tool for that. And you could do that if, you, if it's a Windows box. You can load up a Linux Live CD and do that, find out. Yep. So, Seth, what do you got for us for our command, uh, excuse me, our end user tip of the week? Well, this is a website you can go to. It's roadkillt-shirts.com. Um, it's just a place you can go and buy funny t-shirts, like stuff you've hear, um, you've heard referenced in movies. Like I'm looking at one, and it's a uh, Fokker water volleyball from like Meet the Parents. Uh, Polkai 33, if you remember, Married with Children. Um, a Griswold family vacation, 1983. I just, you know, you can get if if that kind of humor appeals to you you might like some of the shirts available on here. Here's a perfect one for Chris. It says, with a shirt this awesome, who needs pants? There you go. <laughs> That's pretty funny. All right. And uh, was just, that uh, it? watch out for the link that says offensive because they are. <laughs> the one that says graphic is actually right? just pictures. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and you had another one there. Uh, we've talked about this before. Uh, yeah, I was actually passed that on to Seth. Yeah. But Last Exit to Nowhere is a similar website. Good, fun stuff. Yeah. 
Okay. Anything else, guys, before we wrap up? Nah, Thanks let's, for sticking let's, with us, everyone. Let's cook this puppy. <laughs> All right. And so I would simply say, if you have tips for us, ideas, comments, feedback, we crave your feedback. We're inse- uh, insecure little children, and we need validation. Please validate us. And do that at elementsop.com. Hop on over to the forums and uh, create yourself a a topic or jump into one that's already created and uh, and tell us what you think. Tell us some of your favorite um, storage solutions. I just totally lost my train of thought right there. Or or your favorite backup ideas. You can also you find what I call a Zork. A Zork. There you go. <laughs> go uh, back and choose a different ending. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Aaron needs to uh, make us a, a forum post called Zork, and we'll just yep. see what happens from there. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, at Element OP or Facebook.com slash Element OP. And uh, our, we've got, I think, the next three or four shows uh, were sub- uh, submitted by listeners. We appreciate that. Keep the topics coming because, like we said recently, we are totally out of ideas and we're completely dependent on you at this point. So thanks for listening, everybody. And um, for now, that ends this episode of Everyday Linux. Bye. See ya. Thornton.